Welcome back to another episode of LRJ Podcast and Chill. Today, uh, usual suspect, John, myself, Ryan, and Leslie here. Joining us today is, again, Mel coming from... Coming from what? <laughs> coming from... <laughs> I lost it. I lost it. What? That's oh. fine. <laughs> Should we redo it? No. Hell no. <laughs> you gotta oh keep goodness. your mistakes, man. Look at Mel's face. <laughs> Mel, come on, give me some emotion. Anyway, so uh, very grateful to have Mel today joining us. Talk about you know diversity. You know, obviously her focus area. You know, her her job as well, and something that she's very passionate. Uh, just really trying to you know, learn more about what diversity means in in Hong Kong or in Asia, and you know what what was was it like? Uh, you know, where where are we at right now? And you know, from there, we're just trying to have like a conversation here. So thanks for joining us, Mel. Hi. Hi, Mel. Happy to Hello. be here. Welcome Again. back. Again. <laughs> we talked about religion, and now we're talking about diversity. We're talking about diversity and inclusion. That's right. Mel, you want to tell the audience like a little background about yourself first? Sure. I mean, I only started working in the diversity and inclusion space recently, but I feel like it's been a very interesting journey uh, for me and to understand about, about what's like in Hong Kong, and especially since this is a field that it's a little bit newer, in Asia itself, um, it's been a learning journey. Um, I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we can't compare ourselves to Europe or West Western countries, but there's also a lot of things that we're doing here that is very unique to Hong Kong, which is um, very exciting. And so I'm very fortunate enough to be in, in a team that is one of the biggest in Hong Kong. Um, so we're really able to um, really understand what's happening and make changes happen. So it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. So Mel, Mel, you mentioned about, you know, obviously it's quite new in Hong Kong, right? So what about other countries? Like, what are they doing that Hong Kong is, is only starting to catch up right now? Mm. I think it's more about the understanding of what diversity and inclusion is. Like, I think in Asia too, uh, when I'm in Asia, a lot of people, when I tell what I'm doing, it's like, oh, I work in diversity and inclusion. They're like, they always have this moment of confusion they're like oh I don't know what that is and it's like literally what it means like the word diversity and inclusion that's exactly what I do but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of times where people have this pause and they're like what is that or they have this um imagination they're like oh it doesn't relate to us because it's like the black life matters um, movement and that's only Mm. for us for example and there's nothing to do with us like we don't have these problems Mm. so that's why there's still like this education piece that we're starting now and I think people are starting to get it especially the younger generation, but it's still a lot of it is education, um, getting to raise awareness of certain topics and letting them know that it's actually diversity and inclusion is applicable everywhere. It's just we need to make sure that you're talking about diversity inclusion to your area. So how would you explain it to them when they ask when they ask you like they're not really they don't really know what it is? How do how would you explain something like an elevated pitch or Kind of, uh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, do, you have, do you have an elevated pitch on that? Or no. Oh, I need to practice mine. Oh. Okay, <laughs> okay never mind. You got, you got a lot of time, so it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I would normally just say like, oh, this is literally what it means. It's diversity and inclusion. Like every area, every country, every place has a certain demographic makeup. And that makeup is diversity. It doesn't matter if you're all um, 
Chinese, for example, but there's still diversity within that. It could be different ages, for example, different mm. sexual orientations, different genders. Like there's a little, there's a lot of different um, scoping and perspectives that we can look in with diversity. And so people only think about a certain type of demo, uh, demographic for racial um, diversity, for example, but there's also disability, sexual orientation, gender, social economic status. Like these are all parts of different lenses of diversity anyways and so the diversity that's just that's something that's a fact right that's not something that we can really change but the important part that we can control is to make sure that every person no matter where back which background they're coming from can feel included and have that safety to be themselves um, and in this context will be in the workplace mel you mentioned earlier you know some when when, when they hear about diversity and inclusion some people would say that oh it doesn't uh, it doesn't associate with him or herself right why would you why, why would they think that way like why would they think oh it is not it doesn't concern them i think most most of the time too like i think you think about people with uh it's usually people with a little bit more privilege or they mm. might be in a little bit more of the majority demographic so they don't really see the not problems but like the the difficulties maybe or mm-hmm. the slight uh, challenges that someone else might be facing. So, for example, someone with disab- like someone with disability, uh, a, a person who doesn't have a disability might not be real, might not realize the true um, extent to the to the challenges that they may face. Mm-hmm. Just for example, you know, walking down the street, you might not notice that there's a step to go mm-hmm. to the next place, right? And mm-hmm. that's something that you just unconsciously go through it. It's like an unconscious bias kind of thing where you just kind of go through it day to day and you don't realize that. Actually, for someone with disability, for physical disability who might be in a wheelchair, that that step makes a very big difference, and they have to think about it constantly every day to make sure that they are able to get past that. You know, so there's like different things that people might be more conscious of versus others because just of their privilege. It's not nothing nothing bad because that's the reality, right? We are born with specific privileges and identities, but it's just recognizing that there are different people who have very different experiences, even if you're in the same place. <laughs> so, in terms of like when we talk about diversity and inclusion, DNI, uh, short form, right? So, what, how how would you say like what? So, people tends to focus on say LGBT rights and you know, uh, female representation, right? And and you know, obviously, if you talk about DNI, the the matter goes way beyond just these two, you know, broader topic, right? But just curious, why 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 do you think we 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 pick these two as a focus to start mm-hmm. off, right? I think it's just like maturity mm-hmm. level. Like, I think that's also something that we're trying to figure out as well. Like there are some topics in different places that are more sensitive than others. So for example, in Hong Kong, ethnicity is something that's a little bit more sensitive, you know, versus when we're in the like mainland China, some of our offices are in mainland China, sexual mm-hmm. orientation is something that's a little bit more sensitive. So it's like these kind of things, it's like it is geopolitical, geopolitical and it makes sense in their place. So gender is definitely one that it's always uh, started first because I think there's already a lot of movement with um, equal gender treatment. You know that's that's been in history. So that one a lot of people do understand already. There's less education piece needed for that conversation because they're like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Like we should be, you know, treating females the same as male. You know, mm. so there's a lot more maturity and and and. 
research already based on people ran that. But I think for um, LGBT plus, for example, sometimes they're just still like, oh, but they're in the work. There's just as long as they do the job, then it's, it's, it's fine. But actually, there's so much more to that, right? There's also like psychological safety. If they're not able to disclose themselves at work, not that they have to be, but if they don't feel comfortable doing it, or if they get always asked questions that, you know, for example, if you are in the LGBT plus community and you mm -hmm. have a partner, but everybody's always asking, oh, why aren't you married yet? Like, well, do you have kids? Why don't you have kids? You know, like if that in the social gathering that you have, if they're always asking these questions, hmm. if you're not comfortable sharing your um, your your partner or everything, then you, you're still holding yourself back at work. And mm -hmm. so like that's the little um, psychological safety, for example, for, for sexual orientation. And then for the other ones as well, like I think there's just less understanding of what it means. That's mm -hmm. why we just haven't really started that conversation i think there's there's two ways of that it's like the education piece for in, individuals like the employees for example but there's also the other side where it's like as a company we also don't know what that would look like like what does a ethnically diverse ethnic ethnically diverse and inclusive place look like because every company has a very different uh, makeup and how that looks like would be different so there's a lot of challenges with um, tackling certain problems Mm -hmm. I think there are some that's a little bit more straightforward disability easy you know maybe we should be more our, our places our, our physical spaces should be more accessible our mm -hmm. online spaces has to be more accessible like making sure that our website is you know has all the like alt text for example and all the photos have all that so that people who are going through it are able to have the have the technology to read what it actually says so that that's one simple thing that we can do but then mm -hmm. what does it mean for economic status you know like there's very different ways of looking things and we just don't know how to approach it yet. I think we could, that's why in, in, in a sense, like Hong Kong is still very early in its journey. Mm -hmm. And there's still a lot of things of how, how we, we still need to figure out how it looks like. What does a def, what does an inclusive place look like? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of companies are actually still struggling oh. with that and we're working towards it. I think it's just, that's why we kind of have to remember it's like one step at a time. That's why mm -hmm. we kind of focus on some of the diversity areas first, because I think, that also sets the path because then you know how to engage people and you kind of drive in a little bit of the intersectionality for example it's like oh yeah we're talking about women but do you know that like ethnic women ethnic minority women might also be facing even more difficulty so we just kind of have that introduction of these um, questions and these ideas then we can right. kind of continue the conversation so sorry john go ahead no okay i'm mean, I was just gonna ask like so say like if it's gonna be say so like you, you try to make it okay for women after that then you try to make it okay for like ethnic women like how do you even how do you determine that though it seems like it can it can like divide like so many ethnicities and so many like parts of the women like you know different different ethnicity of women and then maybe they have like a disability and then maybe they have some other issues maybe they're poor maybe they have a kid so it's like yeah. how, how do you how do you like support all those different types of like groups i mean i think that's it's, it's the two things i was going to say one of those we also make sure that it's not like when we when we try to make one thing more inclusive it's not directly for that one population only the whole idea is that if you include a policy that is you know for example flexible working that's actually aimed for you know people who are might have like child child like a child and they have to make sure that they are sorry <laughs> I think you can probably say it, Ryan. 
No, I'm just saying you know, Mel, you you might be yeah. lagging a little bit, so maybe yeah. you can consider turning off your camera. So oh, no, just saving you some now. bandwidth. Okay. Let's try that. Let's try that. Is that yeah. actually better like that? Is no, because I feel like sometimes, you're sharing a lot of yeah, content. I don't want I don't want it to be laggy, so it cuts you off. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Mel, go ahead. That's okay. I have to remember what I was gonna say again. Uh, can you repeat the question? The, the different groups. No, so John, John, John was asking, asking like, so John, can you repeat your question? Oh, so like, how do you determine uh, it? Either determine or how do you or are able to support all those different types of mm. groups? Because it seems like you could split it up to like so many different types of groups, or even subgroups. So like, how do you determine like, oh, this this group get this much? Maybe this one's like even underprivileged, so then they get this much. So how do you mm. how, how would you determine that? Yeah, I think that plays a dangerous game once we do that as well. So I think there's there's two parts of that. So one of them is that we have to remember that when we're trying to be more inclusive, we're not just targeting one population because that's not inclusive either. You know, so like, for example, when we try to uh, introduce policies that might be more helpful to a certain population. So, for example, flexible working policy, that's technically, you know, for the mothers or you know, stay-at-home dads or any family members who just want to spend more time with family, or they have others, ch- uh, uh, not childcare. Um, mm-hmm. What is that? The word? Daycare. It's daycare. Like, like any like caregiving um, uh, responsibilities, then they can take advantage of the flexible working to do that. You know, and but the thing is, that's not only for that population. We can't say that, but it's also for everybody else to to use as well like it's open for everybody but it just means that we're creating a culture for everybody to be to take advantage of that so you're able to have that flexibility to do certain things does that make sense like when we're introducing a policy it's not just for one that population the whole idea is that it's not a zero-sum game when we try to make something more inclusive it's actually making everything a little bit better for everybody also you have to remember that everybody's life is different just because at one point of time you don't need that certain I guess it doesn't mean that in the future you don't you don't need it anymore you still don't need it because your life is also changing the way you the responsibilities that you have is also changing so flexible working you might end up having a kid at one time so actually that would be helpful for you because then you can take advantage of that flexible working policy that you have you know but at the beforehand you can also take advantage of that because you might have other obligations that you have so it's, it's not really only one population will get benefit from that or 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 initiative is actually for everybody the other thing i was going to say too is that that's why it's important for us to collect data as well like we do we try to collect information of who our population is because we can't make the assumption of who our people are and who the what the the challenges are either so we need to figure Mm out um uh, how many people identify as being in the LGBT plus community? How many people identify uh, themselves with a disability? And I think there's two parts of that. It's like, if they say that they identify themselves with disability, that that's important for us to know, but it's also important to remember that there's also a lot of people who might not be comfortable disclosing. So there's that population there. It's like, are we actually creating a safe space for them to feel comfortable to disclose? versus not. And I think for us, we, we've been trying to be very careful with the ethnic conversation, for example, of identifying who's who, because mm. as you mentioned, like you can break it down as much as we want, as much as we can, but that doesn't actually mean anything. So we need to be careful with how much we do the fine line with that. And so for us, one of the ways that we did that, we were like, okay, we're going to use the Hong Kong census to, that, to do that, because then we know at least like who is the majority population. So for example, in Hong Kong, that would be people who identify themselves as Chinese, right? And then there's also the different 
ethnic groups as well, who are different backgrounds. In Hong Kong, we have um, expat population who tend to be from a little bit more privileged background. So they're not really uh, having the same struggles or, or challenges that ethnic minorities in Hong Kong because ethnic minorities in Hong Kong are the ones that are identified as people who have been here for a certain number of years. And uh, they might be they might be here for like three, four generations, but still not counted as Hong Kong people. You know, so that's a problem there. So that's an ethnic minority definition. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does. But I, I, I also feel like this is a so my view, my my point of view is I feel like diversity and inclusion is truly like i'm sure now you know this it's truly something that you will keep hustling because you know and, and fighting for right because um the field is forever changing and uh the needs and and and, and the amount of attention that needs for a different group uh, also shift as times goes on right so just because you say tackle one problem uh there's another problem that kind of spawns itself as well right so i guess um, obviously, you know, your company has the luxury to, um, you know, have a, a team dedicated to looking at these things. Uh, but, you know, obviously some, some, some small company doesn't have it. But I guess, you know, obviously it would be very ideal uh, for every company to, you know, have some, have, uh, well, everyone should be conscious about this and understand this more, right? And I guess um, as, as, um, as time goes on, I guess more and more people, uh, will hop onto this and be more, I guess, more aware of this, right? But then, I guess, one thing I want to ask you, Mel, is in Hong Kong, right, when we talk about these things, obviously, you know, with with, the, with some of the locals, would it be a little bit dif- difficult, would you say, or, or kind of like some of the old school mindset that they might have or because or of their traditional or their family belief, uh, they will be a little bit, you know, um, skeptical. Yeah, against it and more skeptical when, when, when talking about these things, right? Mm. Uh, you know, how, how would you kind of, not, I guess not strike a conversation with them, but like, how do you kind of promote that awareness with, with exactly. these type I of mean, group? Yeah. Mm. With this kind of thing, it's, it's, and that's the most important thing. Like we can do so many things in the background, but if people right. don't actually know what you're doing and understand that this is the reason why you're doing it, then it has limited impact as well. So I think that's one part of it. The other part I'm going to say too is like, yes, we have to bridge that all the time. We have that conversation, but like that. But the point is, like, diversity and inclusion is everything. You know, like diversity is everybody. Everybody is make up, make made, made up of a variety of different entities. Are aware of certain challenges that they might have. So, for example, they might be like uh, I think as you mentioned the family obligation right and that's actually something that we talk about too where it's like that um that caregiving capability we need to take into that concern and and figure out how we can work towards that because they have that filial like whatever the word is (laughs) so they're taking care of their grandparents uh their parents but they're also taking care of their kids for example that's like the middle management not middle management whatever the word is (laughs) middle person who has that responsibility and so that's also a conversation you can start. They might not understand the LGBTQ plus conversation, but they can understand other ways of it too. Like they can understand like the gender usually is, is as I mentioned, it's quite mature already. Most people understand the importance mm. of why we're tackling the gender conversation. They right. might be more into like the um, disability, for example, because they are more uh, 
family oriented, as you mentioned, so they might be more aware of the challenges that their parents are feel are facing with um, the mental disabilities or physical disabilities as an older person. So they're a little bit more sensitive to certain diversity areas, I guess, rather than others. But that's why we have to kind of figure out where our people are at. So actually, I'll, you'll also be surprised. Like sometimes we are doing these events where we're trying to raise awareness and we're like, okay, maybe we'll play a little bit softer for this crowd because we're not really sure where people are at, whether people are ready to have these conversations about, you know, gender identity, which is quite a big thing, right? It, and it's quite confusing to a lot of people, especially the older generation. But actually you'd be surprised sometimes when we have these conversations with people, people are like, oh yeah, actually, yeah, I get it. Like, um, like I want to help out. Like I want to understand a little bit more. And they might not be coming from a place where like, I'm ready to accept everything, but they're willing to understand. And I think that's the most important thing. That's why we always talk about representation matters because then they're able to have the exposure because a lot of times people are just don't know, don't have the exposure to talk to people to understand that population. They don't have that, um, that, that they, they don't, they don't actually know the, the specific challenges that someone with disabilities might be facing. But once they hear it, they're a little bit more empathetic to that and they understand a little bit more or they can relate it back to themselves as well. I think that's one part of it. I think the other part that I was going to say too is that this is not just a good thing to have. Like, I think most people have that misconception where they're like, oh, like this is great to have, but I'm too busy, I'm too small, I have no money, I can't do anything about it. But there's actually such a, so much research that talks about how having diversity inclusion is such a strong, like such a strong business case for every company. Like it might not be tangible where it's like one-to-one, -one, like I do this, therefore I get this money. But actually there's a lot of cases, for example, retention rate and um, attracting talent and, you know that that kind of thing. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of research that proves that people are actually looking forward uh, for these things now, and so you can make the case to them as well to start that conversation. So there's a little there's a lot of different avenues that we're doing it, and I think for us too, as a diversity inclusion team, we're not just doing uh, raising awareness. We're also trying to introduce policy. We're we're doing it in different perspectives so that hoping that people will understand and we'll, we'll manage to hit the different spots and people will understand what we're saying. Because we need to say, as you mentioned, bridge the gap for every person, right? So that they're able to actually understand and want to know more. Uh, so mm -hmm. that that's kind of the way we approach it. So what kind of like your clients though, when you do these kind of like, uh, I assume like diversity inclusion, like kind of statistics when you show them and then try to get uh, people to, I guess, be more diverse in their companies? Uh, well, our, I, don't, I don't know if you could, I don't know if you could like, say it, but do, do you have like industries? I mean, look, you, like you that? don't have to say it, but like, like just, like, just case. case example, you know? no? I mean, yeah, no, I think I can say some of it. It's like, it's more like, I think the one thing I need to tell you though, is that we're doing internally. Like, I think there's a lot of the diversity and inclusion is focusing on a lot of the internal stuff right. like i think most of the time when we have this conversation too people think that we're also like philanthropy that we're also we're just you know community building like everything but that's also a different department and actually what we're trying to do is create a diverse and inclusive workplace so that's step one so for example for us we have several goals one of them is to build an inclusive workplace and the last one is also to be recognized as um, doing diversity and inclusion diversity inclusion leaders. So those are two different goals. We have another one as well, but that's not relevant to this conversation that we're having now. But a lot of the work that we're doing, especially now, is internal. 
So I guess that's what you mean by the clients, I guess, is we work with a lot of the people within our company to right. mm-hmm. have that, um, to build a more inclusive workplace. That's why I talk about the policies and um, focus groups and, mm-hmm. and events, like yeah. all of those are more internal. There are some things that we do externally. For example, we work with a lot of, with a few nonprofits as well, who are the experts of their field, because we also have our own biases and we have to recognize that right like in our own mm. team like we're all coming from very specific backgrounds but there's also missing perspectives in it and so and also with one person's um perspective is also different from somebody else who might have a very similar background pro- profile so that's why it's always important for us to just engage as many people as we can to make sure that we're covering our own biases as well not covering but addressing our own biases as well so one of the, prof- the nonprofits that we work with uh, focuses a lot on disability inclusion in the workplace. So they do a lot of the programs and they do a lot of um, information piece. They also do the research aspect of it. Then we can kind of bring back to our people. Yeah. I, I want to bring out, I remember Leslie uh, once shared with me her, her, play, uh, her previous workplace wasn't very uh, inclusive. Because uh, I remember Leslie told me there was a uh, expat teacher uh, who doesn't speak any Cantonese, right? It's only mm-hmm. a, he's an English speaker, right? But then, mm-hmm. I guess the 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 chairperson of the meeting uh, refused speaks to Chinese. Yeah, speaks in Chinese. Refused to speak in English, even though she is fully capable of. Yeah. Uh, just to uh, I don't know why why she did that, but uh, yeah, maybe you can talk a little bit more, Leslie, on that. I mean, I think she was purely just lazy, like. Some people at my previous workplace, like they can speak English, but the fact that majority of the the staff speak Chinese so that they just turn the whole meeting into like another language and ask like a few of us to translate. Oh, yeah, it was really bad. So Mel, would you say that's a very, not very inclusive workplace? And, you know, what type of advice would you say? I mean, it also just sounds like there's a lot of mindset shift that needs to happen first. Because, oh, for sure. For yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's kind of way that we start no matter what, because it's like you can force it on them, but if they're not happy to, they'll still have all these side prompts, even if it's not official. So this one, I think it's in a meeting. So that's an actual official timing. But also mm-hmm. even if it's outside of that, like in all the social gatherings, all the all the just sitting down in the office and they're just talking to each other, even if they're talking all in Chinese too, that person will still feel excluded, right? And so there's a lot of mindset shifts that needs to happen. It's not just the, we're going to force you to speak English only in the, in in the meeting. That's not going to do much either, but I think it's also, it does require, I think with diversity inclusion, it does require a lot of um, top-down approach sometime as well. I mean, it's all all different, all the different sides. So like top-down, bottom-up, sideways, everything. But I think the most important to begin with is the top-down one, because if there's a pressure to get people to change, I think, People are not willing to change and forced to. Unfortunately, people, human nature is like that, right? So then it's like, we kind of have to have that, like the way we describe it sometimes is like light a fire under the ass to actually force them to do something. And then eventually we'll try to do the mindset shift, change, mindset shift, yeah, mindset shifting at, that, at the same time. But I think sometimes it does require someone at the top to force them to do it or, um, they kind of have to very uh, look but at it's the, facts, the right? it's like, the person at the top that's not I know it. and I mean that person will also start have to look at like the 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 
the what is it called turnover rate for example if a mm-hmm. lot of these people a lot of the expats are coming in and they're leaving within you know yeah a, a one year and they're not yeah. longer than that then eventually the the head person will have to look at the numbers and come to a realization that maybe there's a pattern here but they're also might be happy to be like well just not willing to stay yeah what well, if they just don't care about the expats there's like sure, no, you know just, there's let, let, of- just let them leave exactly. yeah what yeah. does he don't give a shit about and yeah the, i mean that's you a kind problem. of have to yeah but what advice would you give for these type of issues in companies sorry say that again what kind of advice would you give for like these kind of issues that arise in in companies i think in that sense then maybe you can just start small first like start with the people like if you can't convince the boss because i know sometimes having that conversation is difficult but maybe talk to other people in the company like is are people not are people aware of that problem as well? Like, are the other mm-hmm. are aware of it? Then is it possible for them to come together and to propose it to the boss? To be like, maybe we can try to be more inclusive in this sense and like approach it in that sense. I mean, the thing is, like, people are not willing to change if they're not willing to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if the guy just learns Cantonese? Can't do that. <laughs> what, John? <laughs> Now, what if what if you were, um, why can't you just learn Cantonese? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she would have said something like that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Because you're forcing I mean, other people to do other things. How can you force that guy to learn Cantonese? No. Sometimes it is a two-way street though. Like if they're w- not willing to try all I but mean they were they were um they were signed to be an English teacher. Yeah. I was gonna say that's the next question too. Is like is the company hey you're in Hong Kong, so, man. Was it a <laughs> Although my Cantonese is pretty shit too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what were you saying, Mel? I was gonna say like it also depends on the and the, the the contract, I guess. Like are they yeah. aware that is gonna be a majority Chinese? Are they aware that this is but, a company? But that, in a way, would you not or... say that? Would you not say that coming into Hong Kong, you kind of have to expect that, you know, you kind of have to learn the language in a way. In a way. But I you mean, wouldn't be expected to use it in a like a staff meeting don't use it but you wouldn't expect people to you know switch uh you know switch to english just because there is one expat right i'm obviously playing devil advocate right but what i'm saying is if majority of the room is pretty local their english is not too good and the presenter wasn't too good in his or her english mm-hmm. you know they're obviously going to use their mother language to express fully of what they wanted to um, share with the team, right? And then as, as a foreigner coming into, say, Hong Kong working, you kind of expect to know some type of Chinese to get around or at least, you know. Uh, so so in a way, I wouldn't, I, I don't know, you can't really say that that's not very inclusive because if it's only one next fat in, in, in the meeting and there's like, what, 20 people in the meeting? 30? Uh, 30, 30, yeah. I mean, what do you think, Mel? I mean, I do think it's a it's a it's a two way relationship, right? In a way where it's like you can't just expect the company to do all all the things for the for the expat. The same thing where you can't expect the expat to just completely do, like, try to cater to, to, you know, change their culture and change everything. Like, it's not just a language we're talking about too. Like right. this is, as I mentioned, this is much deeper than that, right? And I think. If it, I think there's a lot of things. Sorry, Mel, your line just was breaking. Can you see, repeat that again? 
uh, something about. There's like a lot of different. Um, Sorry, your line is breaking again. <laughs> I expect the company itself to fall over everything for the for the. How strange! What can I do? Let me see. I don't know what I can do. So, so I guess you know. Well, Mel is fixing her her networking issue, right? I I think. Uh, you know, in an ideal scenario, say there is a. Uh, 10 people in a company so ideally you want everyone to be different in from different backgrounds different gender different ethnicity uh no because yeah. then that's that's really that... difficult to do <laughs> like at Wait. the end of the day it has to be you're doing like the person who's there has to be able to do their job but i think it's more important about how um i think i've talked about this before with you guys it's like having the having the plate be there so like you have the representation when you're applying it's looking at the actual like recruitment for example the recruitment channels are you applying are you are you advertising in places where only certain demographics are able to look at it and are able to have that access it's looking at your recruitment ad are you saying certain um, um, requirements that might not be as necessary so for example having the requirement that you must be able to speak Chinese but your job itself actually doesn't require you to speak Chinese because someone who might look at it are completely qualified but just doesn't have that requirement I might not be willing to apply anymore you know so it's like looking at all that different channels it's not just making sure that if you're if you're doing the oh my like the team has to have all these different diversity areas like that's going to be really stupid as well. <laughs> like if you're not able to do your job, then you're not going to do your job. The most important thing at the end of the day is that they're able to be, they're qualified to do the job. So, so say, say, that, say going back to my example, right? Uh, you know, a company with 10 people, they're fully capable of doing their work. Uh, you know, in, in the best case scenario, everyone from different background, different gender, everything, 100% diversified. Is that, is that the ideal state? Let me, let me ask you that hmm. question. I mean, I think that's where when I was mentioning earlier, where it, mm. it's, it takes time for a company to realize what each... Sorry, Mel, your line is breaking again. <laughs> because I think it's very unique to each company. So... Hello, hello. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, hello. hello. I think we hear bits and pieces of what you just said. You mentioned about, you know, it depends each on country, what the company yeah, Each company wants, is different. Yeah. And uh, it depends what, yeah. Yeah, so so I'm saying like, oh, if you have ten. But people, wouldn't that wouldn't that not differentiate between any company? Because ideally, you know, you want a diversity labor force, right? You want a diversified labor force where everyone mm -hmm. in a company were very diverse, where you have diverse ideas, you have different people from different backgrounds contributing and and kind of collaborating, right? Is is that not mm -hmm. I? You know, yeah, I mean, it is ideal in a way, but I, but at the same time, you have to look at it as like, how are they actually? recruited were they recruited also because of their diversity areas or because at the same time like we can't be forcing it you look at the population that we have for example in hong kong's case if you look at the population that we have in hong kong it's going to be natural for you know i forgot the number of percentage like 90 percent of hong kong are, are chinese therefore this is me making up numbers by the way don't quote me on this percentage yeah. Just oh, yeah, understand, yeah. but like just saying that if 90% of Hong Kong people and people in Hong Kong are Chinese, then it should make sense that your company's demographic is also about 90% Chinese. You know, it's your, your companies are kind of reflections of society in a way. 
So when we're talking about uh, disability inclusion, for example, we're looking at like maybe one to 2% population being uh, people with disability. Because if you look at the percentage, there's about three to 3%, I think, 3% mm. of people in Hong Kong that have that identify with disability. Therefore, we're not saying that you now need to have 50% of your people have to have disability because that also doesn't really make sense because then you're also hunting for that demographic. Yeah, how you, yeah, so how are supposed like, to do that, yeah. Yeah, like that doesn't make sense. Like you also want to make sure that they're qualified. And then you also, when you're hiring because of their diverse background, like that identity, then also you're creating problems for other people on the team where they're like, oh, I, I'm only being hired for this for this reason, like there's also imposter syndrome in there, but then there's being also a diversity hire. Or is that is that something yeah. that they go through? Yeah, like or I no? think there's a lot of imposter syndrome in there. Like I think a lot of females go through that problem too. Sometimes when they're like being promoted, it's like, oh, am I being promoted because then I look better on the numbers? Like also, I, I think a lot of ethnic minority people also have uh, problems sometimes. So that's why it's a very dangerous game. I think that's why we have to be very careful with how we approach it. Which is why I mentioned earlier how like ethnicity sometimes is quite a sensitive. Do you think because it's dangerous because we're we're talking about it? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's dangerous because we are actually doing something about it? What if what if we never talk about diversity? Uh, you know, for example, we never talk about diversity. I think it's good and to talk about it at least. Wait, what? Essentially, yeah, I think it's like something to talk about at least. You know, because like, if you can't talk about it, then like, then. I think people I, are just gonna do their oh, own it's thing like it's like it. if you don't talk about it and you know say a say a woman got promoted it's like all right you know congratulations right but then if you talk about oh the representation you know how rare you know do we see a female being promoted than a male then it turns it, it, then you know people kind of highlights these numbers and say well we have a problem but then if you just i think when i say do it based on you know their ability um their experience yeah, their performance like, then then it won't be an issue right it's just when we kind of doing putting such a hot like a lot of focal point in, focus point in it then you know we we then kind of kind of creating problems for ourselves to solve in a way when hmm. i say when i say dangerous i don't mean like it's it's unsafe to talk about i think when i say dangerous too it just means that we might be not actually being more as inclusive as we, as we think by doing all these different things. So I think that's one aspect of that. Like when we say dangerous or sensitive or we're trying to have difficulty understanding it, it just means that we want to make sure that we're covering our bases as well. Like we don't want to be uninclusive, uninclusive, mm -hmm. is word? yeah, uninclusive either. There's a lot of biases that we might be pulling in and creating more problems in that sense. And that's one part of it. The other part that you're saying whether people are feeling comfortable to talk about it, I think that's already like when, when people are getting promoted, there's so many different steps involved in that already. And right. I think it's, it's sometimes the system in place that's already happening is already biased. So for example, I think um, with promotion, if um, the ideal person who people imagine to be succeeding in that company then also, for example, one example I can give is like we're 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 looking into like AI for um, bias non -bias screenings for candidates, for example, recruitment. You know, so like using AI technology to to remove the human biases from screening applicants. So how do you do that? Some <laughs> technology, I don't. Know. But <laughs> I, I know, so, anyways, someone has a program, like, it, right? So part of that, crazy. 
Yeah, so that's that's the problem though, because people are, uh, are programming, and also, what is the how is the AI going to get that information? Are they looking at the company's past successful people, and then building their database based on that? So if that person, if the company has historically, you know, hired certain demographics, and they have been able to succeed in the company, is the AI technology going to take that and be like, oh, this is what it takes to be successful in the company? Therefore, I'm only going to be looking at these kind of people then obviously then that technology is not really inclusive at all because it's basing it on historic data. But actually what we're trying to say is what the purpose of it was to be like, oh, we're going to take out the human eyes in it and human component to it, but you're actually creating more biases in the system itself by doing that. So I think that's where we talk about dangerous is like we need to make sure that the process that we're trying to make more inclusive is actually more inclusive. So that's why we need to be careful with how we approach it. So Mel, do you suggest saying, you know, for example, during the recruitment process, uh, the hiring manager shouldn't be, you know, uh, having face-to-face interview with the candidate? If it, uh, so, for for roles that doesn't need, you know, business or client facing, right? So, for example, you know, programmer or accountant or you know, um, company secretary, like those roles that you don't really need much collaboration compared to other. Other, other team where hey, you don't programmers need to collaborate well they need to collaborate don't get me wrong but you don't have to collaborate like client face to face yeah not client facing not face to face right you can collaborate say via you know uh zoom calls or like you know then then you kind of further takes away that biases that you might have when you see that person would that help mel what do you think i mean i guess to an extent but at the same time it's i think i, I think if you're going to do that with for everybody, it's also very difficult. Like, how do you know you're going to be able to working with them? Because you're going to be working the same team, right? You're hiring that person. You're going to be the line manager. And you also want to make sure that it complements your team. Like, I think that's one part of it. But you but- want to hire them complement based yeah, not on their why- appearance. is based upon their skill set, right? So yes. you know their skill set when you assess them, but you don't really have to interview them face-to-face in person or via... I think it depends on the job nature itself. Like, does it require teamwork? Does it require to be a very strong team member to your... Uh, existing team or are they able to work completely independently if it's completely completely independently yeah maybe they can do that and like that completely removes and just taste test it on the skills but i think there's sometimes there are skill sets that's necessary and i think one ways that you can kind of combat that is that to make sure there's more than just the hiring manager in the room like the whole decision is not just made by the manager i think it's you can have different layers like so for example in like in our team where we were hiring and so one of the things that we did was have the coworker and the manager be in the same room and also have a um, metric in place to make sure, you know, what the skill sets that we're both looking for. What are we judging right. on? Because what is actually necessary for that job? Then we have that matrix and each person who's in that interview does their own matrix and they can compare it afterwards to make sure that they're like, it, it covers the basis in a way. Because at the end of the day, like you are hiring because you're working with that person. You know, and a lot of times, especially with depending on what position you're looking for, if you're looking for who is a very junior, it's very hard to tell skill sets because a lot of times it's also judging from potential. You know, like people, it's a it's skill set is also very hard to, this is something that we've been talking about. I think there's a lot of things that we start having problems with, but like, for example, you can't fully judge on skill sets because someone who's very, very, very skilled might also have just been very fortunate to have this opportunity to do that. But they might be very set on their ways and they might not be willing to adapt to the company's way of working, for example. You know, so it's like we also have to measure people's willingness to 
you know, learn and to be adaptable. And these are things that you can't really measure just with a test. Does that make sense? Like, I think it really depends on the job nature. Some, some job nature is definitely, yeah, just do a skill set. Like I was listening to a podcast recently who, you know, they did a blind. RJ podcast and show. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there was an example of like how um, they were trying to advertise for this job role. And what they did was they just sent this test out to everybody and like listeners were able to apply and uh historically they were you know they were they usually hire people from certain universities for example or ivy leagues or like whatever and people from listeners weren't actually from that background but they're able to do the job as well and in that sense like then yes this job makes sense for that kind of uh test but it's not for everybody i think that's why it's so important for you to be very mindful of what your demographic is what your job um, nature is what the actual company culture is like because you also don't want to hire somebody and then like let them fail you know you want to make sure that you have the support necessary to that to make sure that they can thrive as well like there's a lot of different layers that you can kind of look at it which is what you mentioned earlier that you know really there's always more things to do because once you figure out one thing you're still figuring out more things at the same time no, and also to add on that, right? Some companies actually look at, you know, whether the candidate have any disabilities and whether they have any special needs, and then they try to cater them to have a fair uh, selection process, right? Mm -hmm. But I was having a conversation with one of the, you know, the senior leaders, right? And, you know, just talking about, you know, in general, when you interview with someone, it's quite hard to eliminate biases, right? Yeah, yeah. It's no matter how many layers of assessment you have, you know, by the time you meet that person, you, you, you're going to have your own judgment regardless. Mm -hmm. right? And it also depends on who is in the interview panel too. Mm -hmm. And they, they can have similar value as you, right? Being in the same company, mm -hmm. that, that itself is not diverse enough. Unless you hire like someone externally to do the interview for you. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, we're not, we're not expecting... 100 you know we're also right. just trying to do as much as we can eliminate as much as we can i think one of the things that we've been talking about too um with another company is even if you're not like for the people who are in the room who's actually interviewing maybe we can weigh some of the the information that they might not need to know so for example ethnicity uh they might not need to know that and like gender may not need to know that you can take away the name and they just do like the this is the screening process because i think screening process is where you can do a lot of the work. And I think a lot of the biases come in from there already, because mm -hmm. as you know, like if you can't even get on the table and you, people are not willing to read your, your CV, you might be a great candidate and you can speak all of the stuff, but if you're not able to be on the table, then it's useless, right? And so I think this is already the second round where they're ready in the recruitment, they're ready being interviewed. So I think it's like, you're not gonna to eliminate everything, but it's just trying to be eliminating as much as you can. And also making sure that you're, consistent in how you approach it so if you're asking for like any uh what is that word that you, you said earlier their disability and if they need any accommodations for example that right. standard special should, needs and, yeah. yeah if they if they need any accommodations that question should be standardized for everybody you know like the way you approach things should be standardized there should be a level of objectivity there should be a level of accountability as well and that's that part of that is that side and that's why we try to also train like do a lot of trainings and workshops for people who are involved in that process so for example the recruitment recruitment team or the hr team we try to uh, cater to some of the um, workshops that we do as well for them so that when they're doing the whole process when they're doing the screening when they're doing the 
interview, they were able to have that in mind. Obviously, it's not it's not easy. Like you can't you can't make them change immediately, but it's a, it's a work in progress. If they're able to just keep that in mind as they're going through it, then we can kind of count that as a win as well. Right. Like so, we have to remember that we can't go, as I said, we can't go from zero to hundred. We're baby steps, and we're celebrating every little step that we're able to do. I feel like oh. even a hundred. Sorry, John, go ahead. No, I have a question. So say like, you know how you say you mentioned you put in that your, your disability, you put in your ethnicity. Like if you want to be a bit like, isn't putting that information there going to make it a little bit more biased when you do the screening? I think that's why it's, it's, it's like, it's like why, why you put, put that it? there, so right? Also this conversation before where how do you, where, at what point do you do it? And like, how do you do it? In a way that it doesn't make it like, oh, I, I disclosed it and I didn't get the job. And the reason why I didn't get the job is because I disclosed it. You know, like I think there are a lot of different ways where you can do it. Um, sometimes you can also put it afterwards because I think with disability, for example, if you do have accommodations, you do want to know it, it with, before you start. Because if you have, for example, you might be, I don't know, vi- uh, visually impaired, maybe, then doing a Zoom interview might be a little bit hard. You know, like, or there might be some accommodations that you will want, or you might need to make sure that everybody's camera is on and that you're you're not wearing a mask. You know, like these are little accommodations that you can do. I think it's it's difficult though, because I do get what you're saying. Like sometimes that creates the biases as well. So I think that's why I'm saying like it's it's all of it is very difficult to do. That's why you have to be really careful with how you approach it. And I think it also depends on branding. Like I think if the company itself is known to be someone who already is open to hiring people with disability and has a very diverse background, ethnic diversity in it, then having, asking that questions wouldn't be, it would just be a norm. Like it would be a standardized versus if, if you have any precedent with that and a company and a, and a person with disability is trying to ha- apply and they might just feel like they might be the, 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 the diversity higher, I guess. So I guess it's, it's really depends. There's a lot of different factors that's involved in that. And I think it, it's the way you approach it. Like, is it a standardized form where people just say it? And we also tell them that it's up to you. It's voluntary. You also don't need to submit this information until if you're past the next stage. You know, I think there's different ways of approaching it that you can kind of reduce the number, like not number, reduce the level of biases that you might have or might the person might have. Like, you can also make sure that only some people have that information and not certain people. It's very complicated. I feel like there's a lot of different things that you can kind of do. Yeah, it seems like there's like a lot of stuff that you, you have to worry about and you have to do. Like but say I mean, like in the... say like a construction company and then you like right. some person that applies is like in a wheelchair. Yeah. Like he has to be a laborer and he has to like, you know, do like plumbing and do like electrician kind of yeah, stuff at the, 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 a... the construction site. It'd be kind of hard for him to, to work yeah. though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's also, we need to make sure that you have the, that's why I mentioned like how you need to have you need to make sure that you have the accommodations for that person too. Like that person can't, you don't want to hire that person to fail. Wait, what? Doesn't... But like, say, say a construction worker, right? So it's the one on a wheelchair. Chair. You would still take them in. Would you take them in? No. If, if the if the job nature is to travel to different places and to- What if the candidate be like, yo, I, I, I'm willing to roll anywhere and just travel with my wheelchair. <laughs> Give me a chance right now. I work for you. Right now, if the space is not suitable for it, that's also don't worry about it. I'm going to take safety. What about like safety as well? Yeah, exactly. So, like for example, some of our companies is more frontline workers, is engineering. You know, like that is difficult, right? Right. They don't actually have the physical, um, 
support for that right now. Like that's something that they can look at later. But I think that's why we're doing a lot of the foundational support first, because we can't just get people to hire people with disability, for example, because that also doesn't make sense if the company is not ready for it. Like this is also this the example that you gave is the physical disability, but also like if that person is neurodivergent, for example, and people are not aware of the specific challenges of maybe understanding, like if someone has depression, for example, and anxiety, it's 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 a balance, right? You can't cater everything to that person, but the 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 line manager also needs to be able to be supportive. So, but if that person is not, if, if no one has that training, and your line manager and your team is not supportive with that, then that person is going to fail too, and is going to quit the company because they're not having the support that they need. And therefore, then what's the point of hiring that person in the first place if you're not going to actually support it? No, I just worry. Like sometimes you might run into a case where, say, you have two candidates, and one of them is, you know, is they didn't disclose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have anything while the other person disclosed those say they have they're new neurodiverse, right? And then end up the person with neurodiversity didn't get the job. Mm-hmm. Then you know, it comes back and harm them to disclose these things. And then they might wonder too, is like, well, I'm trying to, you know, get uh, you know, get hired. Why do I have to disclose everything? Yeah. Uh, that, that's a fair concern. I think that's where we talk about and, that's similar to John's question, right? Like I think it's where you ask that question. Like, do you should, ask it so, so you get you allude to that, right? So I want to allude to what John was asking, so what was saying earlier uh, is, should we even go into so personal, like to disclose mm-hmm. what, what, what's your, what do you identify yourself as? And you know, yeah. what's your, because I mean, once it gets so personal, then, then yeah. it, you know, work is not work, right? Is Well, what I'm yeah, saying is. I, yeah, I, yeah, I get that question. Like, that's something that we discussed too. Like, what is the boundary? how much can we disclose? Like, how do people, like how much, and I think that some of them is like the com- company culture. Like for us, like some com- some companies doing self-ID, for example, where employees are disclosing their um, different diversity backgrounds. Um, our company, where like self-ID doesn't really work for us. You know, like it really depends on the company itself because then, yes, it might run into the challenge where people think that, oh, this is because of my specific diversity area and that therefore, you know, like it's 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 not good because of that. You know, like I think there are different companies, different cultures that allow certain things. Like we're realizing, I think in Hong Kong, like some this is self ID is a question, like it's a topic that we've been talking about in the last year. And I think one thing that's been coming out of that is that actually maybe it's not as useful as we would like. Like I think it's helpful to have data to understand where people are at and where your population is at, but perhaps that's not the best way to approach it. But it's also the best way that we can do at the moment because we don't really know how to approach it yet. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there, there is not a perfect solution. And I think there's not a perfect solution that is like one size fit all as well. Like if it is, then, you know, like I wouldn't have a job to, you know, like it would be a lot easier said than done. Right. But I think that's where the challenge is. It's like every company is different. Every diversity area is different. How we approach it is different. And therefore, there's a lot of work in progress because I think a lot of times too, like something that might work well with a company, like self-ID for a specific company might work really well, but it might not work for another company. You know, there's there's a lot of different things to consider, as I mentioned. So yes, that's why we have to be very conscious of all these different things as well. Like it's, it's the company culture itself going to be able to support what you're actually trying to do. If not, then maybe that's where you start first. Like you can do all the actions, but and that can be in your action plan in the future, but maybe 
where you're at right now is not to actually hire people with specific people like specific demographics maybe it's not the time to place to ask for this information yet because you're not actually there yet as a company mm-hmm. like maybe start with because i also feel like if that person is not willing your- to open up right and not willing to uh you know we talk about diversity you also have to talk about those who are actually not willing to disclose and who are actually you know quite uh, so so they might feel uncomfortable as well what about those majority right when you turn minority to majority what about those existing majority people i mean i mean that's where that's that's what i mean by the education piece needs to happen too like if if they're the majority is not understanding why we're doing all this why we're trying then really what's the point (laughs) you know like maybe that's where you start and have that have that awareness piece first to see whether the majority understands the reason why we're doing certain things um maybe raise awareness of why it's important to do certain things like the business case as as an example before about why like for example a lot of companies in hong kong are struggling with talent pool right especially with the recent years. So then maybe that's how you approach it. It's like, oh, this is just us trying to expand the candidate pool. We're trying to recruit more people and open up the, 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 the pool of people, as I mentioned many times already. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, to, to me, it sounds like, like doing this kind of process, like the, it kind of seems like you're looking at other different uh, I guess signals that could determine that this person could fit well in the company. I think that's what that's what it sounds like. This, the, the the process that you guys are trying to do is uh, sounds like that's a goal, which I think is pretty well, interesting. Anyway, though, because no? at the same time, we're also trying to change company culture. Because I think, especially sometimes when a company is really old or has been around for a while, there's a lot of s- specific ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. Also, making sure that the the, the every generation. I think I think one thing that you were talking about earlier too is like. And one thing that I mentioned earlier is like when we're talking about trying to make something more inclusive for one demographic, it doesn't mean that every other demographic will not benefit as well. So with the accommodation process, if, if you like the one of the research, I think it's one in seven people. will. But how would how would that benefit? Like, say, say so for example, going back to your problem. Sorry, go ahead. So, for example, with disability, like actually you find out that one of the statistics is that one in seven people will develop a form of long term disability in their life what kind of disability though Even like when you age in the, like, like mentally disability yeah. like no it can be anything <laughs> wait what like, there is, can be <laughs> like, am I, am I there yet? like what, what i just what? had right now when i said that <laughs> oh, i didn't hear that part oops but it's also like <laughs> if you if you broke an arm at one point in time and then or you you tore your achilles and but your job is you know, walking around doing something, I don't know, then that's also a long-term disability or not long-term, but it's a short-term disability. But there's also some people who might have a stroke suddenly and that's, you know, a long-term medical illness. Like those things do happen much more often than you think. And actually a lot of people have that percentage that will happen. Therefore, when you're asking for accommodations that you need, that doesn't necessarily mean just that time it, it can be somewhere where you can put it everywhere you know like in every aspect where you can have a place where you can inform your company that this is something that this is a support that you might need in the future so my company they have like a mother's room 
but then mm. I don't know if I could use it though. You ain't a mother, John. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I don't know if I'll ever be a mother though. <laughs> so by having a mother's room, does it discriminate guys but, in a way? I mean, I, could, I guess I could bring the kid in there too, but if I have a kid, mm. bring him in there. But I, but I, I think like, there's rules that guys shouldn't be entering mother's room. Possibly, yeah, it's for yeah. them to nurse, right? Like, possibly yeah, breastfeed and all that. So yeah. why can't they have a dedicated place but not for guys? I'm not obviously playing devil advocate here, but <laughs> yeah. I mean it's also like the need that they have, right? It's like when 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 they're when they don't if they don't have a specific room for it, then they have to find a room for them to breastfeed because the other people in the company might feel uncomfortable for it. Like you see a lot of news in the US, for example, where someone's breastfeeding in the train, for example, or in the restaurant, right. and everybody else is also complaining. And there's also the gazes, you know, the, the stairs, judgment stairs, and that's really uncomfortable, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that's a problem in a way. So the one of the ways they solution it is to create is allowing that. And yes, that very specific demographic problem, but that's a challenge that they do have. And so one of the solutions is just to create this room for it. Um, there's not really a challenge that a male might be having in that sense that you need to tackle with having a separate room? Like, what would that actually accomplish? I think that's where you kind of think about the, where- Well, what for example, so male might have other challenges too, right? Yeah. So for example, some of uh, the more client-facing teams might always have to be where, like, so males have to always wear, say, dress shirt, right? Mm -hmm. But where, where, you know, during summertime, it's quite, you know, sweaty and very hot and stuff, right? Why can't men, say, have a change room? Yeah, why not? You okay. can look at that then too. Or just not even wear, you know. <laughs> that's, that's a different. That's a different problem, in a way. Like I think like have, have male wear like t-shirts and shorts, and then women the... wear fancy stuff. <laughs> can you just change in the toilet? Well, can you just breastfeed in the toilet then? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Hey, man, what did you say of that? This <laughs> thing actually. I mean, yeah, you can too. I think that's where a lot of people do that as well. But but breastfeeding is not just for like five minutes. It's like you need to breastfeed for like 45 minutes. You got to pump. Pumping yeah. takes and a long so time. Changing, it takes like what? Like how long do you take to change? Three minutes? Five minutes. minutes. What if I take a long time to change? <laughs> then that's your problem. Oh, okay. so now <laughs> oh. my problem now. Oh. Are you me? <laughs> Wait, what? I thought that's about diversity inclusion, Leslie. <laughs> I think you're just tackling different problems. <laughs> No, it's 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 pretty interesting. So I remember a few years ago I attended this um diversity inclusion event, right? And then one of the one of the audience asked this question, it's like, oh, uh, you know, should we now consider, you know, just having no business attire, just wear whatever you want to work? Because uh you wanna be you wanna be the your you know, you wanna be your true self, right? So you should be able to express Naked. yourself whatever way you want to come into the office. Why do we have to, you know, dress in a certain way, wear something? Like I think this is uh we, we should be at a level where we can accept, you know, whatever fashion style or that person is wearing and just coming to work and and see mm -hmm. a problem with that I mean, though. And I actually have a problem with Mel, what do you think of that? And there's two folds to that too, right? You need to remember that you're still working for a company. And well, so why can't the company open up and say, branding, so, like, let's go Google style and wear whatever you want? I mean, there's branding and identity. I think if, you, if your company has a certain way of portraying themselves, I think there's a level that they can control that. Not control, that's not the right word, but they can 
regulate uh, regulate that enforce. a little bit more, enforce it a little bit more but maybe that definition can be a little bit more flexible like maybe if it's not necessary then why is it necessary that makes sense like if you're in the workplace and you're not seeing anybody else then why is it necessary to have so to i can wear like my summer, you know, like beach tire, like my flip flops, my and there's also uh, and swimming trunks. <laughs> like, would you walk into that in the train station, like, and all that? Then maybe there's some problems there, you know. Like, I think there's a Wait, why is there a problem? Not why, why is that a problem <laughs> yeah imagine you walk up to the building and then like everyone else is wearing like a suit and you're like in your shorts and some some trunks so that's what that's what that audience was asking and suggesting is should we not at a stage now in day and age where we can just not care about that appearance and just focus on our job to express ourselves fully because saying i think i think she is from india so she might have a a culture where she, she she dressed in a certain way, not necessarily, you know, business attire. But then she says she can never do that because that's not the branding uh, within her own company. So that's why she's suggesting that uh, to the group. Mm-hmm. And I find that pretty interesting. So I wanted to share it here and see what you guys think. I think it also depends on how the company is enforcing it too. Like, is it like a, unspoken rule or is it a actually explicit way of looking at it and how the person is also approaching it as well like are they just like screw you I don't I refuse to conform to the company's um, culture I think it's company culture is one thing as well well let's say should company have dress code okay let's ask this question should company have dress code I mean, I there's a line, right? Changing. Yeah. Why? Why? Can't why? Be naked and go to the office. So that's a dress code, right? Well, if that's how I wanted to be you expressing can't, myself, can't, can't wear like a Halloween outfit every day. <laughs> I mean, actually, you probably can't, but well, for some companies. But if I'm performing, if I'm gelling well with my team, then yeah. does it matter? Does it matter? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if a client doesn't mind, I'd say it'd be like distracting though. Say if you're just like in your speedos walking around the office and people are just going to be like, what the hell? Like see your package just hanging out, dangling around everywhere. Well, are you judging me now, John? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I thought we're talking about diversity here. So why are you guys judging me when I'm wearing, you know, whatever I want? There is a line though, right? Where, why is there a line? I thought we we're trying to avoid to have a line. No, I think Are that's we not the rabbit hole of what we're talking about? If we're sectioning everything, <laughs> then yeah, that's that's the problem. Yeah, There's like a hard time. <laughs> I'm just trying to fuck around. It's <laughs> an interesting topic, though. No, it's good. It's good. I mean, it's good talk. It's good talk. I think. Look, I think there is not. Like like Mel said, right? Like one size fits all, right? It also depends on the scenario, the company, the culture, etc. Right? What but, they're trying to do too, I think. Yeah, exactly. But I I think if you never start talking about these things, right, it will never fix mm-hmm. its own problem. So that's why it's important to raise our awareness. And I think like I feel like um the newer generation, like they they are quite more um well, aware of these things. Might like more aware of these things, but I, I feel like they also um they need more uh kind of education uh in school or like when they're young age, yeah. right? Kind of build them up and and teach them like how to think mm-hmm. too, right? 
I mean, it's quite encouraging to know that I think, um, so we have like DNI champions groups and like all these different networks, right? And it's, it's, it's quite encouraging to see that a lot of the schools too, like some schools, not a lot, but like some schools are also starting to have these. Why are you calling my nickname? What? I'm a DNI champion. That's my nickname. I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> wow. But like, but like some, wow. some schools and everything have a DNI person or have a DNI lead that there's thinking a lot about these things now. And so I think in that sense, it's quite encouraging to see change happening in that level, because I think when we talk about recruitment, for example, it starts at a young age, right? It's, for example, for people working in STEM, like there's a population for that. And like, we need to encourage people from a young age. And so schools play a very important role in that. And so it's quite encouraging to see that people are also already thinking about it at that, at that, at that time, because people are also very impressionable. So we kind of need to get them young. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Leslie, I want to ask, you know, say in, in your school before, like how is the gender balance like or like how is diversity, this topic being discussed in the school? Not quite diverse. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's very local, isn't it? Yeah. So, well, they accept children based on their, um, their the children and the parents' like background their educational background, how much money the parents make, what schools the parents went to when they were younger. So yeah, it's not diverse at all. There's no- yeah, I guess for schools, like you can never be diverse, is it? Like it's very hard. Not in Hong Kong, I feel like, because yeah. I'm not in those like top schools where you got to like interview to get into. But shouldn't it be very ideal? I, I guess not ideal, but like, I think you should stop young, right? For kids to interact with different kids uh, from different background instead of just looking purely at academics, you know, the background of their parents. But I guess that's not the norm in Hong Kong. That's not Hong Kong. Not, I think in general too, right? Say, I can't imagine Cambridge be like, ah, oh, you know what? Let me pick up a kid from this, you know, you know, I don't you know, like at something, average right? school and... Yeah, no, that does not happen. <laughs> it's like meritocracy too. They have to also be able to uh, be in that, be able to do the job, right? In the young age too, like being able to prove, like going, getting to university, if they're able to, if the limit is the academic limit, then they have to be able to meet that as well because also, else then they're going to go to the schools. They're also going to fail all the classes if they don't have that background. What if, like, what if like that kid is very artistic? You just not. Okay, I, that, what I'm trying to say is like, there's a line that you have to play as well. Like, I'm trying to do all the diversity and inclusion part, but at the same time, you have to be very realistic in what you're doing. Like, you can't. If if we're not a charity, like I think that's kind of things how we approach things too. Like, we're not a charity. We can't. Ideally, we want to help everybody, and we want to you know do all these different things. But at the same time, we are in a company and. There are limitations to how much we can well, do. Let's, let's, not, let's not talk about companies, just saying schools in general, right? Should they not adopt, at, you know, adapt into this? No, no, not just too, because I think different, com- different people, children, have different needs. So someone who can be very high performing, for example, or who, how they learn best might be a certain way. A Someone else might be a different way. And if you group everyone together, then everybody kind of fails together. You know, like, I think there is some specialization that's necessary, but maybe putting funding to make sure that they also get the same quality, but they're getting a quality education that is catered to their needs, how they learn, how they approach things, you know, how the, what access that they have, 
and the network that they have, they can kind of prioritize different things. And it, it can be more catered. And when you cater a little bit more, then, and you specialize a little bit more, then they're able to do their job better. That's kind of how I think about it, at least. Like if you're being over, if you're being too general, then you're actually not really helping everybody, anybody either. Like that, you have to embrace the differences and be able to address the differences rather than just pretend that the differences so, don't exist. So this is what I think, right? So similar to what we previously discussed about recruitment process, how we should eliminate those biases and really assess that, you know, candidate fully, same as assessing a kid, right? So obviously, you know, in school, you have exams to kind of rank you, right? But then what if that kid just doesn't do well in exams, but actually mm -hmm. do well in other things, right? Mm -hmm. Well, with that, but then that kind of hard, well, those things might be hard to show in your score, um, your uh, report yes. card, right? So then yeah. at the end, it led you to a, a, a not, not the ideal school that you want to go in, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, was that not fair? I was terrible at tests. But yeah, I, I think that's why it's important to have a different ways of assessing someone. Like it can't just be someone who's very vocal in class gets a very good grade, but they actually, sometimes with the most vocal people, don't actually know that much they're just very good at bsing or they have the background of knowing how to bs or someone's very good at taking tests because they know how to read the question and so that's not an accurate way of judging people's academic skill set or ability and so i think that's why uh schools or, or different professors or schools have to have different ways of um different ways of assessing assessing yeah assessing people i'm like, pretty sure in hong kong itself i mean there's, there's only one way to assess right well, I mean, like exams. In the US, for example, i know like there are some 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 classes for example you is like project based so then that tests your ability to work with other people but then you might have also individual assignments you also have to test you have all the different spectrums so that together you can kind of see where you're at as well and then some, some people can also choose whether you decide to do a, I think for my master's, that was one of the options. You can choose to do a, just like one test or you can do multiple papers. So oh, wow. that's just one way. I don't remember whether that's true or not, whether I'm just making it up. But I remember hearing it or doing it somewhere. So in that sense, that, that's testing different skill sets and you're able to work the way that you work best. I mean, that's only two ways, but I think there's these kind of accommodations that you can kind of figure out. But I think that's where education, education, wow, educating like teachers and schools, that's kind of how you start making people think about it a little bit more because they're the one executing. So you can't actually force people to do things. They need to start thinking about it as well for themselves. I don't know. I just, I, I just start thinking, what if schools start being more diverse in terms of the kids that they're bringing in? I think there's some schools think... that do bring in different um background people like ec economic status for example that's a big one trying to bring in people from different and, and then you realize that actually people like kids are very similar sometimes like you can be from people from different backgrounds but they are actually very they have the same worries as like a like you know like 10 like 12 i don't know what age they are like 14 year old girl they might have very similar thinking processes you know but they have different networks and different opportunities in the future so figuring out how to actually make sure that both parties shine or reach their full potential i think that's where the diversity and inclusion piece comes in because it's a fact right people 
are coming from different backgrounds. This person might be from a less privileged background. They might not have the network in place or they might not the, know the connections to get certain internships or have the luxury to get internships rather than providing for their family. Then that's something that you have to kind of consider as well. So it's making sure that how, you're- How do you ask for that though? Like saying if their network's like shit, so then you, you ask them, it's like, hey, do you know anyone? You're like, nope. It's like, all right, let's help you out then. Or they're I mean, like, I, oh no, my dad's like, yeah. you know, share the chairman of whatever country. Like, okay, you're good then. <laughs> I don't think, you know, I mean, that's, that's where I'm bringing to the point where like you don't really know, but then you have to be more aware of the differences that might happen. So for example, when you're recruiting like our like graduate programs, for example, those are usually people who have the luxury to have internships and have the luxury to reach out to these people and know how to do it, like how to frame themselves up as well. And so then that becomes a school's responsibility maybe at the very beginning to offer these kind of courses that they might not be able to offer beforehand, or the schools to have these kind of networks that the, the students can take advantage of. You know, so it's like having- oh, so it's down to the school to have these type of networks open for students to yeah. take advantage. Sounds like a lot of resources for the schools. Like, do you do that? And they have to cater for, like, each student on their different needs. Companies also have that role to be able to support schools as well. Like, I think some uh, some of the nonprofits, that's why we sometimes support nonprofits that do these kind of programs, internship programs, for example, so that you can kind of provide that slight support. Hmm. Like, it, it is a job of everybody to kind of make sure that the whole society is, is more inclusive. Interesting. No, because I just think in, <laughs> uh, say, so you say a top Ivy League school, right? I don't see them being diverse. Diversity is one of their top priority when recruiting uh, and, you know, meeting us. Uh, say this not. Because I know in, not. in America, like, so, like, did you hear about the whole Harvard thing where they, they, they don't, like they, like, they don't take in like more asian people because they said like too many asian people or whatever right yeah that's stupid so wait what that's stupid i know really i thought that's a good thing no oh ryan you're gonna start a fight here not start a fight <laughs> it's, a, it's an open discussion i thought but but wouldn't you want to Okay, first of all, I think, you know, because Mel first you should, about assess, you should assess, look at metocracy first. So you should right? assess the person's yeah. grade and skill set first. Not, not based upon metocracy. But maybe it's also a, a, a test to see what you, how you're assessing things. Like, are you assessing things and putting more value into certain skill sets? Like, what was, what was, the, what was, what was the excuse again? The Asians are, too, are performing too well in certain things. Yeah, they said they performed too well in like academics, but then the reason why, like, they didn't say exactly that they too many Asians. I think the reason they said that they didn't want to let more Asians in is because they said that the, they are not very sociable in a way. They can't socialize. Just <laughs> study. So, so maybe that's yeah. a skill set that they should look at, right? So then that's the assessment. It's like maybe the assessment is already biased. I, I don't know. I feel like that's an excuse though, but yeah, I don't know. But meritocracy, for me, I think that's the most important thing. Because once you take away that, then you are actually introducing more biases into the whole conversation. That I agree with.
So we end it here. <laughs> it's been a long, <laughs> no, it's a long I'm session. Too, I'm too Actually, I do like this of... though. Like it's like... very good though. That's very good. Yeah. It's been like an hour 20. Yeah, it's midnight, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mel, for sharing. Look, I think this is a very interesting topic and we'd love to have you back, say, you know, a few months time. Just yeah, to talk answering all our this. tough questions too. <laughs> no, yeah. I I keep playing devil advocate and you know put you on the spot, Mel. And thanks for you know taking you know being patient and you know really you know dissecting every single element to it and, and telling us about about it. So thanks, Mel. Okay. And uh that's a wrap, guys. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Cheers, Bye. guys. Bye. 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 Bye.